So, good evening, everyone. I hope you're all doing well. These retreats, uh, I know you're doing okay, but they can be bumpy. You know, we go on quite the roller coaster. It's amazing how we just sit in silence, just being, and all this stuff just comes up, right? It's like we look so calm on the outside, and then inside there can be all hell, can be breaking loose in there, you know? It's just amazing. It's, and so tonight I wanted to talk about compassion. I wanted to talk about courageous compassion that's grounded in wisdom. And I think this path of awakening, you need a lot of courage. You need, a, you need, to, you need to be courageous. You know, there's a certain willingness to kind of throw ourselves on the fire. <laughs> you know, that, that is called forth, that, that we have to kind of generate and open to. And... Um, Compassion. I think the more I grow, the more I see that it's essential. And I wanted to share some stories and share a little bit about my own journey that I took. At the beginning of this year, I was on a five-month meditation retreat. And I, it was interesting, because I've gone on long retreats many times before. I've done th- several three-month courses, and over the years when I was really young, I did once a seven-month retreat. So I thought, okay, five months, this should be okay, you know. <laughs> and it had been a couple of years. It's like every couple of years I get this calling that says, go deep, be quiet. You know, I get this passion, like, I'm going to awaken. And then I, I run off to the you know, retreat center. Usually I'm at a center, you know. And so I found this tiny little Tibetan center up in the foothills of the Crestone, Colorado mountains. Beautiful. And I thought, this is great. I'll stay, stay here for five months and just go deep. It only fit eight yogis. Right? So very quiet. I thought it was going to be quiet, but then it turned out to be a little chattier. We could talk during the, the meal times. So it, was, it started to get uh, unsupportive. So I heard about a retreat cabin way up, uh, way remote. And I've always longed to be one of those real nature-y kind of girls, you know, women who can make it outside and camp. But I, I didn't grow up like that. It's not my... It doesn't come naturally. I grew up on concrete patios, jumping up and down in apartment buildings. But I, I thought, this is it, me and Mother Earth... You know, I'm going to go for it in the wild, you know, and just be crazy. And I, I got a flute to come with me, and, and, and I'll be with my mind, and I'll, I'll liberate myself there. And I said, okay, three months alone in a cabin. Should be okay, right? I was projecting all these beautiful states of mind, you know, me and the mother, and oneness, and lying out on the rocks, you know, and feeling bliss. That's what I thought it was going to be like. <laughs> Maybe you thought that coming here too. You know, you're driving up. It'd be so peaceful here. You know. 
And I guess I should have known in some way that it wasn't going to be like that because when I was leaving, there was sort of this epic goodbye from everyone in my life. People were offering flowers and there was gatherings and tears were shed in my community and and I would have dreams where I had this dream where this beautiful Native American spirit offered me some strength and some gifts, like, you're going to need this. And I was like, huh, this is dramatic, but okay, you know, I'm I'm okay. Life kind of prepares us for things in a way, you know, where you kind of get preparation. And so, um, sure enough, it seemed like right on the first day, I started opening to the most difficult emotions that you could probably open to. And the fear was overwhelming. I felt like, you know, here I am alone. Oh my God, no one's around. I intentionally left my cell phone behind, right? It was a long way to the the place that it was a temple on the land. It was owned by some Bhutanese Dzogchen community uh, members. It was spread out on many acres. It was a long way to a tiny temple. Sometimes people were there, sometimes not. So I thought, well, if I die, I die. You know, I kind of had this, like, rule. I don't know. There was just the attitude of, you know, now is the time, you know, to go in. And I really had prepared myself to be my own teacher in a way, too. I thought, well, I know the teachings, I practice the teachings, I know them intellectually. I have a lot of compassion, right? That's what you need, compassion. The worst thing that's going to happen to me here is I'll have to feel. I'll have to feel. Can't, how much can I feel? Right? Without going insane. Isn't that the question here? Like, that's all that's really happening is feelings. And I thought, well, let me really explore what is feeling. Right? Some are good, some, are, some feel painful. Right? And I thought, well, I'll just... I'll feel, you know, to, to become an awakened being, it's, the, it's almost the ultimate test in how many feelings can you be with. You know, and we sit with them. And what's so interesting is you don't know from the outside what someone's feeling. You know, they could be sitting eyes closed and going through just the depths of something. And then it passes. So I had some courage. Okay, I'll feel I can feel. I can do this, right? And then I had the wisdom piece that said any feeling that arises is impermanent. Nothing lasts forever. I could bear that, right? Okay, nothing lasts forever. All I got to do is write it out, right? And so it started, right? So you like, as soon as the caretaker drove down the mountain, and was like, wah! You know, it was amazing. And fear, and terror, and loneliness, and, and this grief came up with oceans of tears. And I remember sitting with all these tears flooding, flooding, tears, tears. Sometimes it didn't even have a story. It was just heartbreak. And I remember sitting with that hour after hour after hour and going through this whole range of things. And I started to every day bow down deeper to compassion. Because I thought, in this, the depth of all these intense feelings, what else could be valuable? <laughs> right? I can't seem to stop it. 
I did try, actually, right? I was like, okay, this feeling thing, I'm done, right? I tried to stop it at times. I tried to get out of it. I, I, you know, that just added to the madness, right? It's like you're already hurt, and then you, you stab yourself again, right? You, you get angry. I don't want to do, I don't want to feel this anymore. Just let's stop. You know, party's over. Get me out of here. Uh, you know, but I had made this commitment to myself. And I thought, well, you know, let's just keep going with it with compassion. And every day it seemed like it went to another level, right, of what was possible to feel by one human being. <laughs> I mean, I'm not joking. And um, and I learned about the depths of compassion on that retreat and wisdom and how they go together that when we open to compassion, we open also to wisdom. They serve each other in a lot of ways because when we're willing to open to the truth and let go, the wisdom deepens, right? We can be in the present moment. This whole retreat is just about learning how to be in the present moment. In some way, I love that. I always call these, the center a hospital, a cosmic hospital, Right? And we're all running around and going, you do a little bit more walking, you sit more giving prescriptions. The teachers were sort of the nurses, right? Running around and, and everything we're doing is to try to help you stay in the present moment in a balanced way so that the medicine of truth can go in deeper. Right? If you sit here long enough, you awaken, like you learn. It's a miraculous thing, isn't it? We sit here. In present moment, accepting, allowing, and our true nature reveals itself. Right, all the beauty starts to come out. The love starts to flourish. Not that we don't have hardship, but there's something deeper that starts to come through that is very powerful. But there's a lot to be let go of, though. And I remember when I first heard the teachings of the Buddha, I was very happy because I heard a teaching about true nature. And, you know, I grew up in a family that was predominantly Christian. So there was, you know, something's wrong with you, right? You're born bad. And just pray yourself out of this, you know, repent, walk on your knees, (laughs) thousand miles in the desert, right? And then when I heard the Dharma when I was very young, I remember I was weeping, because it, it was saying, you're already awakened, you're just forgotten. Like it's already in there, it's just, it's, it's covered up by all of the, the madness in the mind. Right? It's covered up, it's layered. Like we're, we're inside this layered kind of prison cell, right? And our, the truth is in there. But to pull those layers off, we need a lot of, a lot of compassion. So there I was in my cabin just going through all these different emotions and learning how to let go and and sort of be in painful emotional places with grace and wisdom, right? Like, okay, this isn't what I wanted, right? Heartache, you know, day 42 again, here we are, right? (laughs) But can I, can I trust that it's, it's all happening 
for a reason. It's part of the dance. And we survive these things. That, I think, was the part that really touched me the most, is when I was leaving and coming home, there was joy. And even when I was going through the tears and letting go, I, I remember at some point talking to a friend, and she said, find joy in this shedding of these skins. Is there any place that can find joy? And I, there was some place, like, yes, like in this letting go, there was some happiness that I had compassion. Right? That I, even though it was painful, there was something also sweet about it. Saban Fusume is, um, I, just to give you another example of the sweetness, even in the depths of something, Saban Fusume uh, is an African teacher. Her and I teach grief rituals here and other places. Um, she's from Bakino Faso, tiny little West African country. Uh, and she is kind of like a medicine woman. I would call her a shaman in some way. For years, maybe 22 years, she told me, she's been traveling the world, leading grief rituals in the most destitute places. Okay, so going up in the mountains with a group of women in the Congo who, were, who had suffered in rape camps. And, and I mean, just meeting the depths of what you could go to. Right and entering into these grief rituals, and they we build these elaborate altars, one to the ancestor shrine and one to our, our our spirit shrine and the grief altar, and we put all our grief there. And she was telling me that in the Burkina Faso culture, that grief is not something that is looked down upon. It's actually something that's quite beautiful. And what happens is the the elders in the community they kind of sense when it's time to call a grief ritual. Like they tune into the frequency and they're like, yeah, it's a little too heavy, right? Time to do a grief ritual. And everybody participates in it. So all the families, everybody, even if they don't feel like they have grief, they're there to support and work through it as a community. And then on the first day, um, you know, they build the elaborate altar and there's a lot of singing and drumming and there's a big, it's a lot, it's very catharsis, people wailing and, and, and as a community together, everyone holding each other in that. And then the second day, there'll be more of it. But what happens by the third and the fourth day, it starts to turn to joy, right? And pretty soon the drumming and the crying becomes laughter. And then by the fourth day, it's full-on dancing and, and eating and having fun. And they're like, okay, we've been restored, Right? It's like the collective energy has been restored. And so there's a way that there's a way that the depths of emotions in other parts of the world that they're not seen as bad, that they're seen as wholesome and relevant. Right? They're important. Like your tears that you're letting go of here are important tears. It's not just, oh, so and so's being dramatic, right? It's just like it's I think that's the value. It's there's something valuable to this. There's something valuable about doing our work. And when we can learn to see this with compassion, uh, we can honor the difficult in a different way. Because our culture will say, oh, you're feeling intense? Let's get rid of that really quickly. Right? You've got grief? That's a problem. Right? Let's, how, how do we get rid of this medically? Let's take this. Let's do this. Let's put a lid on that. Right? So then we think, oh, you know, this whole depths of my heart it's problematic. I think women, we really get that label a lot, right? It's like shut down this 
innate knowing. Shut down these emotions. Let's act rational. Use your head, right? Again, come into the head, right? And, and so there's this whole realm of uh, our reality that we become disembodied. And so I love that in other places that we can celebrate what's happening. It's not easy to be with intensity. But if we can learn to dance with it, open to it with love and compassion, our journey is going to be a lot easier. Right? We'll be able to dance with the dark, dance with the light, the joys, the sorrows. And we'll be able to be present in a different way. So we are a lot stronger than we think. And we're a lot more courageous than we think. It takes a lot of courage to sit here, actually, and be with what's happening. To be with the truth of the moment. So compassion is very strong, and I want to... I want to guide us through a piece about how to do this for ourselves. Some people today, several people ask, Spring, how do I know when I'm being compassionate to myself? Like, how, what does this look like? How do I identify that? And so I thought, oh, in some way, we, we have to relearn how to love ourselves. We, we really have to just start at the beginning. And that's okay. The beginning is a great place to start. Right? How do we relearn this? How do we take care of ourselves differently? We know how to do the self-judgment, self-hatred thing, right? Up to ten. We got it. You know, everybody's doing that. Even the little kids that come to Spirit Rock. I worry about the teenage girls. I'm like, it's already happening, but you're a Spirit Rock child. You, you shouldn't be having self-hatred at 12. Right? It's like, oh, okay, it's in our culture. Uh, but I think it's important that we understand how important compassion is, how healing it really is, how much it can be a relied upon foundation. I call compassion now the chief, queen. Like, thank you. As long as I have compassion and wisdom with me, I could feel anything. I could go in there and go, okay, let's just ride this out. There was a beautiful um, article I read about post-traumatic stress disorder. Somebody sent it to me about a month ago. I really love, I like dogs a lot. And um, so they thought I I would be interested in it. And it was how, um, obviously we have thousands of soldiers coming back from the war zone. And some are dealing with extreme levels of post-traumatic stress. And so they started training these dogs to be helpers with, to the soldiers. And one of the worst symptoms, or what seems to be the most dramatic effect for people with post-traumatic stress, is nightmares. And they're not even normal nightmares. They're night terrors, and they, it keeps them up, and they can't sleep, and they're reliving things. So what happens, the dog is trained that when the soldier... when when the person begins to go through these nightmares, it's the dog's trained to stay up in the night. The dog reaches out its paw and starts tapping on the heart area. Isn't that the sweetest thing? And then licking the face. And then the soldier wakes up and is like, okay, reorient to the space, I'm okay, okay, in the tapping motion. And he's just trained to go just like this, to keep steady. 
And these soldiers are reporting, they love it. They're like, this is helping, I'm able to sleep, I wake up, my, the tapping's happening, I'm, you know, I'm getting okay again. And so in San Diego, there's like there, 700 dogs are about to go through this trauma training to help the vets coming back. And I thought, wow, in that moment, it's just compassion. Right? Isn't that what everybody needs in their life when you're freaking out, someone just to tap your heart and lick your face? I was like, yeah, that's us, and we could do that for ourselves, right? In some ways, we have to do this for ourselves, right? I mean, you could get a dog, you could, or, you know, sign up on the list. We all have post-traumatic stress. At some level, we're all traumatized. Not to be a victim in that, it's just to live in this reality is difficult, right? And to be human, to be a woman, right? So I felt very touched, deeply touched by that, that story. Mm. So learning how to turn towards ourselves. I think metta practice is very helpful. Curiosity, how many have done the practice of metta or know about the practice? So, so many of you, just a few have not. Okay. I feel like for me this was a life-saving practice because I, I learned, it's like, well, how do you start to love yourself again? Well, if you were gonna start with a child, right? You'd sit them in front of you and you would say, I love you. You know, you're wonderful. You would, you would acclimatize them towards love and kindness and compassion. In some way, we have to do that for ourselves, right? We have to sort of, uh, we practice doing it. We practice holding ourselves in our, our mind and offering kindness to ourselves. And at first, it feels really fake, right? We think, may I be happy? May I be peaceful? And then the voice says, you'll never be happy, right? <laughs> Or people come in like, I hate this, I'm a stone, I'll never feel love for myself. You know, there's a whole reaction to it. <laughs> but, you know, when we've been doing one thing, for, one thing for many years, it takes time to weave a new pattern to create something different. You know, so we're planting seeds of care, learning how to turn toward ourselves as a formal practice. Like, this is my formal time to practice self-love and self-compassion. So you imagine yourself in the moment and you offer love. You offer kindness. You hold your own hand. Right? You, 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 you bring back into your heart yourself how you would be with someone else. You know, if you saw a child that was hurt or suffering or any being, you'd have this open-hearted at least sometimes, you know, an open-hearted response. So let's just take a moment, I think, and just, and you can just sit where you are. It's just going to be a couple moment meditation. But I want you just to, to just, as we just spend a couple moments practicing.
and as you you're thinking and sitting and feeling and without getting really into the story just reflect on maybe some of the difficulties that you've had since you've been here like how are you like how are you really doing And see if you can meet yourself the way that Prajnaparamita would ask you that question. How are you with all this love and respect? <clears throat> like we respect it, who we are. We respect ourselves and our journey no matter what it looks like. And so just greet yourself for a moment. As you reflect on something that has been hard since you've been here. Or maybe something that has brought some type of pain, a conflict, or a Maybe break up or, or just inner, the inner heart just heavy. And can we offer some kind words in this moment as a comfort and care about these difficulties? I care about this confusion. Compassion is caring. Self-compassion, care for ourselves. Seeing if you can hold an image of yourself in some way, even if it's an image of you as a child, if that's easier for you to connect to the younger image, use that.
offering kind words as support. Again, with honor and respect. May I be happy and peaceful. May I be safe and protected. this body be healthy and strong. May I live with ease and well-being in this moment. offering some flowers to yourself, honoring honoring our true nature, our true nature. So that's what we have to learn to do for ourselves all the time. 
If I wasn't able to do that for myself when I was in the cabin, I truly would have went insane. <laughs> right? I had to be like the dog tapping. You know, like, okay, tapping the heart. Honey, this is hard. You know, in some way you have to, your, your own, at some point, your own inner shaman comes out, your own doctor. Like the healer part of you rises up and starts to take care of the sick parts. Right? The confused parts. In my mind, our confusion is a sickness. That's okay, because it can be healed. The Buddha clearly laid that out. And the Four Noble Truths is about healing. You could think of it also as a diagnosis. And a teacher here, uh, when we were on the young adult retreat about, I don't know, maybe this was about a month and a half ago, she was uh, one of the teachers. She said... Um, on her first retreat, when she was meditating, it was like a lunatic locked in a telephone booth with a megaphone. That's how her <laughs> mind felt. It was just screaming, right? <laughs> and somehow that became the theme of our retreat, where like, we kept referring back, the lunatic with the megaphone, how to work with the lunatic. Right? And so this girl, uh, this young woman had come into an interview and she was like, oh my God, the lunatic is out today. You know, it's just screaming and yelling. And I, I really understood that. But I also reminded her that there is a beautiful, wise Kuan Yin in there too. It's not just the lunatic in the phone booth, right? It's like there's also the Buddha in there. And I, I feel like as we come on retreat and we learn to be present again and again, that other voice starts to get louder. That wise one, we, said, we train it, right? We, li- we sit and we listen, we listen, and we start to hear it like, ah, oh, there it is. That one that's reminding me of the truth, right? And some way, the teachers, what we're doing here is we're just reminding you of what you know. Because you already know this. Like we just all forget, right? I'm reminding myself all the time, right? If I forget, Anna reminds me, or Julie reminds me. Oh yeah, okay, back in the moment, right? We're just reminding ourselves. And so as this other voice gets louder, the wise part of us, that part really does start to heal the part that is lost and confused and tormented, right? We learn how to self treat. We learn how to heal ourselves. We learn how to listen to our body in a different way. Right? Well, what does my body need? How oh, it needs to move, right? We start to hear this, the well part of the mind. So it's like this beautiful song is playing. Okay. Right? And the lunatic it's there as it's going through its metamorphosis in some way. But we're, we're always working with that with love because there's really no other way to heal than we can't fight. I tried this. The Buddha tried this too. I think on this great night of enlightenment, Mara attacked from every Mara, the force of darkness and greed and self-hatred. Maybe you've been battling Mara all day, right? Some of you, right? It's that energy of confusion. And the Buddha in the end won the great battle with Metta, the loving heart. So these confused lunatics that kind of pass through our fields. The only way to conquer them is to love them. They transform. We really can't fight. That's the power of compassion. 
And I think what's interesting is that in our culture, in the Buddhist world, compassion is taught a lot outwardly. You know, be compassionate is a huge emphasis on that. But I think because of our particular ailment in our culture of self-hatred, the whole teaching needs to first be directed inward. Right? So all the emphasis out needs to be in. We almost can reverse it for ourselves just to work with the energy that we're picking up of this intense self-criticism that we work with all the time. So we start to let go more and more. Letting go. We start to forgive ourselves for all the things that, we, that we've done. Forgive yourself a thousand times. That's one of my mantras. I forgive you. I forgive you, Spring. Right? <laughs> I forgive you. I say it to myself a lot, actually. Because we make mistakes. Right? And when we know better, we do better. We see that when we're under the grip of the difficult emotions, our actions hurt ourselves. We forgive ourselves for that. Right? There's a lot of forgiveness that happens on this retreat. I hope you're tuning into that for yourself, letting go of not being perfect, the perfection of imperfection. Right? So, and also, I just, I really want to thank you for the work that you're doing. It's beautiful to come in here tonight and sit and listen with you. There's something very powerful about the sitting we just had. I felt like I was just listening and I could hear all the sounds outside. And we were just in here breathing, being. This is big, these kind of circles. It's important, honoring ourselves and just respecting who you are. I think that's the final thing that I'll say that I think hurts me the most about the worldview of the sacred feminine is the not the respect not being there. It's like, oh, these are the mothers. Oh, these are the, you know, how can we not honor it? But I think when we start honoring it, things will shift more and more. When we respect our own journey, our own heart, our own mind, when we learn how to do that, I think we really have to learn. I think then the planet will shift when a mass amount of women start to view themselves with this deep respect. You know, just, here I am. Yeah, tears and all, right? (laughs) Tear streak face. How beautiful is that? And I just, so I I appreciate everything that people are sharing. And I, I just honor the work that we're all doing. And I just so value everyone here. And uh, this is important. And, uh, and timely. We're sitting for our mothers, our grandmothers, our ancestors, women on the planet who would long to be here, who can't. Right? We're sitting for all of them. So when you feel beaten down by something, draw strength for, I'm sitting for all of the women in the planet. May we all be able to be in the moment. Like, you know, we could draw strength from that. I did a lot on my retreat. Right? May, may this be a benefit to all women. May these tears I shed heal the great sorrow of all beings. Right? And then I would get strong again. Like, okay, I can do it. Another moment. Right? And then, of course, we can get through it. We always do. 
So let's just sit for a moment as we close our eyes and just appreciating you, appreciating this time, gratitude. Thankful for even the hardest moments of the day. We can just find some thanks. We made it through. Here we are. And may our practice be for the benefit of all beings everywhere. May we quickly attain full awakening, full recognition of our true nature. Enjoy this warm night. Look at the stars and the moon if you want to do walking practice. And then if you're up for it, come join us for the late sit. Or if not, take rest. Enjoy that. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.